You're listening to You've Been Hanged, hosted by Hank Griffin, writer, man of faith, Parkinson's warrior, traveling man, and storyteller. Wonderful stories, home cooking, thoughtful lessons, and candor about life with Parkinson's are his to share. Relax for the next several minutes with your friend, neighbor, and brother who loves you. Chicken, my chicken. It had been a good family Easter dinner, as far as family gatherings go. I love family, my family. All the people, blood or otherwise, who I've chosen or permitted to be a part of my life. Of course, when a gathering's not at one's own home, there's little choice in who attends, and only really a choice in whether or not to be a part of the gathering at all. No doubt most people can relate. And if you can't, well, good for you. Poor Granny. She'd consumed one adult beverage too many and was now sitting in the parlor quietly recovering her dignity. The signs were all there. We knew it was happening. But like any train wreck that's already in motion, there's no stopping it. Rather, it simply had to be observed or turned away from with varying degrees of horror or or mirth, depending on the observer's age, perspective, and understanding. The too loud laughter, excessive, slurred, increasingly confused speech, and repeated failure to observe when others were trying to talk were included among the dead giveaways. Attempts by one of the gentlemen present to divert Granny from beer to coffee was expected, as was her reaction, to completely brush those attempts off and continue on in her typical damn-the-torpedoes, full-speed-ahead fashion. When the tears arrived, they did so suddenly. The expression of her grief was acute. For the little ones, it was confusing. The adults who'd seen it all before were embarrassed and or frustrated, and those adults new to our family gatherings weren't sure just exactly how to react. There was some internal chemistry in Granny that unfailingly ignited any time she drank a little too much, some chemical reaction that combined with difficult life experiences and past traumas inevitably coaxed from her a story about her late father. When her thoughts and conversation turned to him, the tears, well, they were coming. Just one sip too many, and the crisis would be achieved. Then, with time and coffee, lots of coffee, it'd all be over. Granny was led to a comfortable place to sit and recover from her ordeal. Our post-dinner conversation similarly attempted to recover. Neither recovery was immediate. Though it may seem like I'm making fun at my granny's expense, I am not. Her youth was difficult. She was the daughter of a woman who might most charitably be described as a character or a pistol. Unfortunately, while many of the stories about Granny's mother may be entertaining, she wasn't necessarily a noble character. When I think of my great-grandmother, there's always an association with the late and notorious outlaw Belle Starr. Generations of our family, Granny included, have suffered as a consequence of that woman's poor decisions and questionable, frankly, often ugly actions. But Granny loved her father. She always spoke of him kindly, and her love for him could be heard both in the words that she chose and in her voice. And when she drank hooch, and here I'm referring to alcohol, 
particularly when she'd consumed a little too much. She couldn't help but think of him. Those thoughts, affected by alcohol, always brought on tears. Unfortunately, she was prone to drinking more than was altogether wise, particularly at parties and family gatherings. Something in that combination, chemistry, life experience, personal trauma, and hooch, caused a predictable and anticlimactic outcome to many a family dinner, one that happened so often as to be noteworthy and also inspiring me a wish that things had gone differently for Granny in her youth. Are there difficult memories that are also kind of funny? Yeah, yeah, there are. I'm not ashamed of either the laughter or the tears. The fact is, a sort of curse has worked its way through the generations. Sadly, as it made its way, it was too often manifest in my granny, who I truly loved and still love. It's ugly. It was ugly to her and, sadly, through her. But more of that another time. I watched my granny dab tears from her eyes in the other room. Uncle Carl, always a gentleman, brought her a cup of coffee, piping hot coffee, no doubt. I saw her pat her benefactor's hand, give it a squeeze, and bring the cup to her lips and thought she'd be okay. Hank, Mama said, I have something outside for the girls. You do? What is it? It's a surprise. Then, girls, y'all come outside with your grandma and your daddy. I've got a surprise out there for you. My daughters, very young, were all pleased excitement. The four of us exited the house to go outside to see grandma's surprise. Having had some experience with a string of those surprises over the years, I was torn between mild excitement and foreboding. With Mama, things could go either way. What is it? Tell us what it is, the girls begged to know. Oh, no, I'll not ruin the surprise, my mother, who was there, Grandma said. Oh, we want to know. All right, all right, let's go see together, I urged my daughters onward. I thought we were going to the shed and grew concerned when instead we turned toward the barn. Hold on, I began, but was ignored. Mama opened the barn door where, to my then acute horror, were more than 200 recently hatched baby chickens. Mama steadily avoided my glare as she announced, You girls pick out which one you want. The girls, delighted beyond measure, talked with such sweet animation, pointing and squealing to my mother. I said, Mama, we don't have anything like a place to keep and raise a baby chicken. That's not true. You have two acres of land, a garage, a shed, and a fenced-in backyard. It'll be fine. Yeah, we can do it, Daddy. There's enough room, the girls urged. There really isn't, but it didn't matter. Just like the earlier train wreck wherein Granny wept with too much to drink and difficult childhood memory, so now another train wreck unfolded as my daughters were presented with a baby chicken for Easter, a gift that clearly pleased them both, but one that neither girl was anything like prepared to manage. I knew that we were either being given a heartbreak when the little chicken ultimately died, or that I would have to now care for a baby chick that I 
neither wanted nor had any kind of infrastructure at home to provide for its comfortable care. The girls, oblivious to the realities of the moment, laughed with pleasure and excitement, and the day wore on. Granny recovered from her earlier discomfort. Mama behaved as though she'd not just saddled me with an obligation for which I felt nothing more or less than resentment. The girls laughed and played with their cousins in the secure and spacious backyard. Uncle Carl, who had agreed to come only after much cajoling by me, and having been begged by the girls, oh, they were hard to resist, y'all, did so after making it clear that it was only under mild duress and after being reassured that there would be plenty of hot, piping hot coffee that he would not be prohibited from smoking, and that there might be some good fishing to be done. He and I quietly slipped down to the lake with a couple of fishing poles to see what we could catch. We sat together on a couple of folding chairs. A cool, pleasant breeze blew over the water, the dock, and my elderly great-uncle and I. To our real pleasure, the fish were biting, particularly the crappie. The old man inhaled mentholated smoke from his cool light menthol 120. When the smoke cleared his lungs, he said, So you got yourself a baby chick. I groaned and said, Uh-huh. I don't remember you having a chicken house at your place, he said. Uncle Carl, well advanced in age, struggled the last several years of his life with Alzheimer's disease. It was not so bad then that he couldn't function at all. He just needed a little help. But it was getting close, and would certainly get worse before he died. It was bad enough by then that to have him be that lucid, to have him so entirely present that he could fish and converse, was a blessing. No, sir, I said. I don't have a chicken house. You'll need to build one soon. Do you have a place to keep it until you do? I'll have to come up with something. I suppose I can keep it safely in a, I don't know, a pen or a cage or something while it's still a baby there in a the garage. Hey, look at there, Uncle Carl exclaimed, pulling another crappie from the lake. What are you doing that I'm not doing, I asked. You're catching two, sometimes three to my every one. I probably smell better and am definitely more handsome than you. My wry old great-uncle mused. Yeah, no doubt that's it, I agreed. Or maybe it's the menthol or the nicotine or both. Don't think I didn't see you blowing smoke on that worm when you put it on your hook. I'm starting to think the fish are getting a hit of it from your bait. Uncle Carl, taking another drag from his cigarette, nodded sagely, exhaled another lung full of smoke, coughed, and smiled. I bet that's it. We fished a while longer, in relative quiet. When the stringer was full of fish, Uncle Carl said, Elmer, I wish you'd tell Hank that I'm ready to go. My heart sank. Elmer was Uncle Carl's oldest brother. He was a good-looking old feller, and I looked a lot like he did in his younger days. When my elderly great-uncle's memory began to cloud, though he remembered Hank, he just couldn't remember that I was Hank and very often confused me with his brother, Elmer, instead. When it first began, 
I tried to correct him. I'm not Elmer, I'm Hank, I would say. You are? Yes, sir. You're joking, was the best response I'd get from my ailing uncle. Sometimes he grew agitated. Eventually, I realized the best thing I could do for him was just to be his brother Elmer. So I was. Don't worry, Carl. I'll tell him. It wasn't long before Uncle Carl was no longer able to be at home by himself. But we'll not talk about that today. Back up at Mama's house, most folks had already left or were heading out then. Hugs, kisses, plates of food covered in tinfoil, and soon we were off also from home. But first, Granny, thank you for making you good cornbread dressing. I just loved it. You're welcome, sweetie. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Granny kissed my wife and the girls. Y'all are really growing. Giggles, more kisses and hugs, and soon she was in a car on her way with a ride. Mama, I had a good time. I did, too. Thank you for bringing the chocolate cake and the pig's in blankets. Oh, I was happy to, I said, but what about the ice cream? Didn't you enjoy that? I brought it just because you wanted it. Yeah, it's okay, Mama hedged. For French vanilla, I asked. Mama smirked in spite of herself. Yeah, like I've said before, that's a little too European for my tastes. Also, I'm not entirely convinced that you didn't get it on purpose instead of that good homemade vanilla with the gold ring around the rim, just to spite me. You mean like giving the girls a baby chick just to spite me, I said. Are you talking to your mama like that? She asked as she turned her cheek for a kiss. Having kissed the proffered cheek, I hugged her tight, joined my wife, daughters, Uncle Carl, and the baby chick in the car. My God, Elmer, why the hell did you buy a car that sits so low to the ground? Uncle Carl complained. It just kills me to get in and out of it. I might as well be getting all the way down on the ground when I get in and up off the ground when I get out. The ground doesn't have heat and air conditioning. Velour seats are pretty girls to share the ride with, I countered. Uncle Carl reached over playfully, as though he might pinch each of the girls. Both squealed and then made as if to pinch him back, and at this, my elderly uncle's eyes widened in mock horror, and the car's unfortunate ride height was happily soon forgotten. The chick peeped often from her box in the back seat. Don't you girls let that chicken out of the box while we're still in the car. Yes, sir, was the response, though I was nervous as a consequence of the giggling. What do y'all want to name it, my wife asked. From the back of the car, secretive whispers could be overheard until finally the girls announced that the chicken's name would be Chicken. Y'all want to name the chicken Chicken, I asked. Yes, sir, they sounded certain. Y'all don't think another name might be better, their mama suggested. Like what? My wife and I suggested several names, all of which would have been just fine for a chicken. Each was summarily dismissed by our daughters. We like the name Chicken, they insisted. And so we drove home with the chicken named Chicken, as though it was the most regular thing in the world. In time, I suppose it was the most regular thing. 
chicken grew to be a pretty and plump Rhode Island red. She was the queen of our backyard, had a nesting box, and regularly provided eggs for our benefit. She ate bugs and chicken feed. Chicken grew into an unexpectedly social creature. She liked to be where the action was and never hesitated to participate in our backyard goings on. In the coming months and years, Chicken occupied herself well enough while we were away working or otherwise busy, but when we were within the sphere of her influence, Chicken demonstrated a desire for our attention and real skill in getting her part of it. When the kids played outside, Chicken played with them. When I worked outside, Chicken worked with me. When my wife and I or our family spent time outside, Chicken spent time with us. Over time, Chicken proved to be just another part of our family. Thank you for listening to Chicken My Chicken on You've Been Hanked. Recently, while speaking to a friend, we talked about stories and storytelling. He related to me that there are things in his past that he and those others with whom they were shared find wonderfully funny, but that he wasn't convinced anyone else would enjoy. As we spoke, I experienced something of an epiphany. Our stories, yours and mine, need not be humorous to be appreciated. Funny stories are almost universally welcome and enjoyed. Still, as a storyteller, I believe all stories, well, most stories, have a place. It's not good in my estimation, to be a jerk when telling stories that involve others. Still, there's no value in over-sterilizing a story either. Thoughtful humor is a good thing. A story's being real is even better. Best of all is when we strive to find a way to relate what is or was real in a kind way that allows for the tears, winces, and laughter to find their way out while not bludgeoning one's listeners in the process. Tell your stories. If no one seems to be interested, tell them to children. Children love stories. Uncle Carl told me his stories. Granny Alice told me her stories. As they did so, over the course of years, I grew to love hearing them and learned to tell my own, even as I incorporated their stories with mine. When you tell your stories to the children in your life, you bless them. Give them a connection to their history that they otherwise wouldn't possess and inspire them both in their childhood and again later in life. Tell your stories. Thanks for listening to mine. If you're not a subscriber, good heavens, why aren't you a subscriber? Please subscribe. If you appreciate my work, please consider a paid subscription. I have bills too, people. If you're already a paid subscriber, thank you very much. I couldn't do this work without you. I've enjoyed our time together and look forward to talking with you again soon. Much love, Hank. You've been hanked. Thanks for listening to You've Been Hanked. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. It's easy and really makes a difference. Please help Hank help others by increasing the reach of You've Been Hanked.